Good morning. We get to look this um, look this uh, this morning at uh, remembering the church. Remembering the church, and I gotta make sure this is working. It is. There it is. Okay. Good. <laughs> gotta figure out how this works now. We changed a few things technologically, and therefore it's. Um, and uh, so we're looking at remembering the church, and, and by that, as we look over that at this over the next several weeks, is. It's kind of apropos because kind of some of the news in at least pastor circles was the, was the study that came out recently that said that we've dipped below 50% uh, of people attending church recently for the first time and no forever in a sense. Um, and of course, COVID might have something to do with that, but just the, the, the involvement of church and what it means. But even beyond that, um, we want you to kind of remember what, what are we about? What are we doing here as a church? And not just, uh, in a sense, as a church, but to also, in that sense, remember the church. Because to say, what does it mean to be a part of this church? And to, we've been in some ways disconnected over this past year to reach out to one another and to love one another appropriately. And what does it mean to be the church and to, to be a part of the church? And so we want to look at that over the next several weeks together. Together. And as we do this, I'm just kind of being up front. I normally preach through passages of Scripture, books of the Bible, and give you that kind of that overflow of the book and keep in the book, so to speak. Um, and uh, it's a great way so you, that you can grasp the, the meaning of the text, etc. And when you go to it, kind of a more of a topical approach, it's more of a systematic theology approach. And when you're doing that, you're, you're bringing Scripture to bear on life. So the, the kind of the biblical theology approach of preaching through sections of Scripture means that I'm, I'm sticking to the text, I'm hitting what the text speaks to, and I'm very kind of, if I say something, I'm like, I'm confident this is what God's Word says. But when you get to systematic theology, you start to to, uh, engage with different ideas that are out there, and I'm definitely basing my engagement with those ideas on Scripture, but I'm going to say some things that you might, you, maybe you hadn't heard before, or maybe you hadn't, uh, maybe I'm engaging with some areas of thought that you hadn't been exposed to, maybe, or something like that, and my goal is, is that you would be, in that sense, Bereans, right? It talks about in, in Thess- the Thessalonians about the Bereans that went to Scripture and searched it out for themselves. So, my goal is to get you to think about what it means to be the church, but more, it, my real goal, in a sense, is to make you go back to Scripture and say, what does it mean for me? What do I believe about what it means to be the church? In that sense, to remember the church. And so, as we go through Scripture this morning, I can't say just turn to one passage of Scripture, I'll turn to a couple in particular, and we'll look at those. Um, but my goal is to help you think it through what does it mean to be the church? And specifically this morning, what does it mean to be called as the church? To be called as the church. And so if you have your Bibles, or you can see it up here on the screen, it's John uh, 7, 37. And why is this? This isn't working, Matt. Oh, there we go. Now we're working. Okay. John 7, 37 says here, if you, can re- if you want to re- turn to it in your Bibles, I'll be spending a little bit of time here. It says, on the last day of the feast, so again, we just looked at uh, the Passover, right? One of the first Passovers in Jesus' ministry, Jesus went to the, to the temple, and he overturned the money changers' tables, right? And he did all of that, and he, and he engaged with the leaders, and there was a lot of controversy. In, in at least the second or the third Passover, I'm not sure which one, he, he, he goes, in a sense, hidden 
He doesn't, he doesn't present himself. He doesn't engage. He doesn't do a, a lot of things like turning over uh, money table samples. He just goes there and, and worships God. But in, on the last day, he's, he's so caught up, in a sense, with his, his, his seeing of the need of the people around him. He says, he says that he got up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. He's, he's issuing this call. And when we talk about being called as the church, this is one version of several versions that Jesus uses to say he's calling us. And when he calls us, it's an invitation. But once you've been called, in a sense, you've been named. So that, you know, when you, you say, it's a privilege, at least for me, I didn't realize when I was, you know, 18, 19, that I'd get to name seven children. That wasn't on my, you know, radar. I wasn't, like, planning that. Um, but, but when you call someone a name, right, you're, you're giving, you're saying, this is who you are. This is how you're going to be identified. And so when, when God calls us and he invites us into his life here, in a sense, right, it's, he also then calls us his. We are his people. And so there's two aspects to call here that we want to kind of explore together. That idea of in an invitation to life, but then it means a new identity that we have together. Now, just back up here for a second. And, and, and there's some assumptions in this that I want to just kind of make sure you're aware of as we think scripturally, right? So it says here, if anyone thirsts, right? If anyone thirsts, Jesus is assuming a few things here, okay? He's assuming, the, in a sense, the, the flow of Scripture so far, that God created us, and he created us in a perfect environment to know him, to be in fellowship with him, that we, in that sense, we did not thirst. We should not be thirsty because we have God, the creator of the universe, who is satisfying our souls. But then Adam and Eve, right, they decided that they would choose some other satisfaction. They would choose their own path, They would decide for themselves what is good and right and and experience it on their own outside of God and his plan and his his reign. And they rebelled against him. And Jesus has come because men are thirsty. They may not know it, but they thirst for knowing and fellowshipping with God because they have rebelled against him. And so he looks around and he sees them feasting. And you've you got to understand, right? If they're feasting, you're like, no one's thirsty, Jesus. No one's physically thirsty right now. No one's physically hungry right now. We're feasting. But he's saying, but you don't get it. You can be physically feasting and physically unthirsty, but you can still be thirsty for God. And if you are, then I have the satisfaction if anyone comes to me, right, whoever believes in me, it's an audacious claim, whoever believes in me, as the water, scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And so there's this, this call that Jesus issues to those who are thirsty to come and find life. And that call 
doesn't stop there at the Passover. Really, it's the call of God in Scripture. God looks at the human race in time, and he says to each generation, Come to me, all you who are heavy, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. <laughs> He's like, there's, there's a place of satisfaction. There's a place of comfort. There's a place of safety. If you'll come to me, you can experience that life. Peter here in Acts chapter 2 makes it pretty clear. He says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. As Peter's just been talking about the fact that Jesus died and rose again <laughs> at God's plan to deliver men from their sin and death, right? And he says, they're cut to the heart. Brothers, what shall we do? Peter says to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, because of the forgiveness of sins that comes through Christ, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, Right? He's just, he's echoing what John, Jesus said in John 7. In fact, he, he specifically says here, for the promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off. He's like, this isn't just for Jerusalem and the temple and those Israelites that you have. This is for everyone. Everyone whom the Lord our God, here's the word, calls to himself. There's this call that is being issued and Peter is issuing it here again at Pentecost, saying, come, repent, receive the Holy Spirit, receive new life. And, and so, there's this call that's out there, but I just want to maybe take a minute here and talk about different calls that are out there, okay? Okay. Some of these, and as we think about these calls, um, they're calls that are, in a sense, competing for your attention, for your loyalty, for your time, your resources, ultimately for your loyalty. And there's good in those calls. And the question is, which call is greatest in your life? Here's where I'm headed this morning as we think about called as the church, is what is the purpose of your life? And I hope by the end that you'll say, my purpose in my life, because I am called, is to be the church. That I am part of this body of believers, that we are called to be the church together, because we have been called <laughs> to a purpose. Here's another call that's out there. George W. Bush says, there's no bigger task than protecting the homeland of your country. There's no bigger task than protecting the homeland of your country. That's a call, right? It's actually a decent call. It's a good call. But then you have to say, how does that fit into God's call? How does that work? Here's another call. The environment is no one's property to destroy. It's everyone's responsibility to protect. We need to be environmentalists, right? There's a call to, be in, to protect our world. Again, not a bad call. Not a bad call. But how does it fit into the other calls, and especially the call God has made? to you. Here's another call, just to get them out there. 
Percy Bysshe Shelley writes, um, away, away from men and towns, to the wild woods and the downs, to the silent wilderness, where the soul need not repress its music. This has got two interesting calls to it. One is, away from towns, get to the country, right? And all of us Iowans say, amen, right? We like that. Get away from all those busy towns, right? But it's an assumption. It's assuming something. It's assuming that when I get out there, then I myself, I am free. I can express myself. I can be who who I want to be. I've got my own music that I can create and be. How does that compare to the call of Jesus? Come to me, all you are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me, all who are thirsty. I can satisfy you. Does the country satisfy you? Or does Jesus satisfy you? Does having your own music satisfy you? Or does Jesus satisfy you. You see, you see the, the difference in the calls? And the, here's the, the, the reality of what we live in in our age. We live in an age where there are thousands of calls coming to you day after day after day. Social media, the books you read, the people you interact with, there are thousands of calls saying, come. Not just, not be satisfied all the time. Some are like, hey, give your life, sacrifice, do this, do that. This is what you need to do with your life. This is the purpose you need to have. And you need to be able to distinguish the difference between God's call and some other call that's not God. You have to be able to distinguish it. Because if you can't, you will get confused, you will go down wrong paths and wonder, how did I get here? And realize, I listened to the wrong voice, I accepted the wrong identity, and I ended up in the wrong place. And so, I don't want you to end up in the wrong place. I want you to realize you are called by God. And that means you are giving a special purpose. A higher purpose. So let's look at more detail, if you will. Am I looking at point number one? Called to be Christ's inheritance. So praise. So we have a call, but there's also a response to that call, right? So here's the call that God is making out to, to be Christ's inheritance, in a sense. So again, we're going to go back to what we already looked at um, in a couple of verses, but here's one that reminds us of this. We know, Romans 8, 28, that this is Paul writing to, the, to believers. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So God is calling you into his purpose, his plan, and he's saying when you're in that plan, God works out even bad things. It's all part of his plan. It's for good. It's it's a hope that we have as Christians. But what's what's his purpose? He goes on to say, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, 
in order that, here's his purpose, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So Jesus has won a victory over sin and death. Jed had us read from Colossians chapter 1 earlier, right? He's the firstborn among all creation. He's the firstborn of the dead in that him, so that he might have the preeminence. He is the king. He is the savior. He's the rescuer. He's come into history, rescued us from sin and death, the greatest need that we have. And then he's like, God's like, that's not enough. I want you to have a reward for this. I want you to have a family for this. I want you to to have many brothers because you have won this victory. And that is what the church is about. We are not winners of the victory. We are testifiers to the victory that our brother, Jesus Christ, won on our behalf. He conquered sin and death. And he has called us out to testify, to be be, uh, uh, kind of a... Your, your Christ's inheritance, you get to say, this, I, I am Christ's inheritance. He won the victory over sin and death, and I am a, am, am a part of that victory. And we read this earlier. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So we have this this call not to do something primarily, but to be something. We are called to recognize that Christ has won the victory for us and that we are trophies of his grace. It's not about what you do as a Christian. It's the fact that you are a Christian, that you're like, okay, I don't, I don't deserve this. I haven't earned this. But God has won the victory. And he has allowed me to be a part of the people that testify to his victory over sin and death. And I get to praise him because he's called me out of darkness and confusion. And, and I don't know where I was headed to Declare the praises of him who calls you out of darkness into his marvelous light to realize, you know what? Man, I don't even have, I don't deserve to be here. But yeah, I'm headed for heaven now. I deserve death. And now out of my soul flows rivers of living water that are eternal life to me and others. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. He calls you his own. Here's the challenge. The call to, to just be Christ's inheritance, so to speak, is, is, it means that your legacy is not really about what you accomplish with your life. Your legacy is not about what you accomplish. Now, I realize we are we, we work at passing on a legacy, and, and it's not bad in that sense. But primarily as a Christian, your legacy is not about you. It's about what Christ has done for you and with you. 
And so here's a, a key thing as you think about your purpose in life, you think about the calls that are happening that you're hearing, you're saying, I've got to do this with my life, I've got to do this with my life. Here's a question for you. Is that call focusing on what you have to do in order to have a great legacy? If, it, if that's what it's focusing you on, it's not, it's not balanced correctly. It's not focusing you on what Jesus is calling you to be. If you're only focused on, well, I've got to be a good parent. I've got to do X, 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 X. You know, I've got to do all of these things in order that I can pass on a legacy to my children. Or I've got to have this. I've got to build this business up. This is my legacy to pass on this business to the world. Or this is my legacy. I'm going to pass on. I'm going to cure cancer. I'm going to pass that on to the world. That's my legacy. That is not God's call in your life. God's call is to rest in what he has done for you and to live in that rest. It doesn't mean don't do good. It doesn't mean don't bless your family. It doesn't mean don't bless the world. It means I bless others out of the blessing I have received. Some, some things to think about. So, Maybe, how do we know when we're doing this? And I ran across some, some, some kind of ideas for how to maybe help you out think about this, right? So I know I'm resting in praising Jesus rather than trying to build my own legacy, right? When, first of all, I'm enjoying communion with Jesus even in the midst of disappointment and storms. I'm enjoying communion with Jesus even in the midst of disappointment and storms. So, how do, you, how do you deal with disappointments? Does it set you back? Does it rock your world? You'll be like, oh no, where's my, what's going to happen to my legacy? What's, what's my purpose in life? It's all trash because this disappointment or this storm in my life, it's all over. Or are you like, man, Jesus, I'm disappointed. This is rough. I'm so glad I've got you. <laughs> I'm so glad you've won the victory. I'm so glad you're walking with me. So glad I can listen to you. Which one? Where are you at? That's a, frankly, that's a hard one. <laughs> it's not easy. Another way of putting it, are you experiencing, a, another way of are praising Jesus, I'm resting in that when I'm experiencing a lack of anxiety in my body. Some of us just get all tense. We're fearful, and the, the fear comes out in, the, in how our bodies handle stress, and we're all tense and tight, and we don't just rest and relax. Can you rest in the joy of Jesus winning the victory for you? Can you just stop for a second? You know, God put the Sabbath in the world for a reason. Another one, not doing for others what they can and do, should do for themselves. How does this rest? Well, sometimes some of us just like to solve everyone else's problems. It's my legacy. I solve people's problems. You know what? Sometimes God gives people problems so they can solve them themselves. <laughs> you are not the savior of the world. Now, if God gives you the ability to help someone and the time and the energy and the heart for doing that... Go for it. Amen. Praise the Lord. You get a chance to do that. But you don't have to be the Savior of the world. Jesus is that. Okay? Another one. 
less and less triggered when things go awry, right? I don't know, as a parent, you know how many times I plan my day and then my kids mess it up? That's just crazy, right? And I can get triggered. I can get triggered lots of different ways. One, I can get triggered about myself. I can be, man, Will, you should have planned better. You should have known they were going to do the X, Y, Z. You should have planned for that. What's wrong with you? You never planned properly. Or it could be, you know, what's wrong with these kids? I can never just have a day that goes the way I planned. It's all everyone else's fault, you know. Or you can be like, you know what, Jesus, I tried to plan something good. It's not going the way I planned, but you're in control, and I can trust that because you won the victory. You know what's best, and I can rest in that. Last couple here. Enjoying a deep sense of knowing I have nothing to gain and nothing to lose. I only want God's will. Man, how... This is a tough one for me, you know. I'm always thinking about what I can gain or, you know, what I don't want to lose. But maybe I should just be focused on what God wants for me to do today. You see the difference in the call that's out there? You can, you're called either to rest and rejoice and realize I am part of Christ's inheritance. He won the victory and I can rest in that or you're saying, I've got to, I've got to do this. What are people going to think of me? What, what am I going to think of myself? What, 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 what impact am I going to have on the world? Those are all good questions, but they fall under. They fall under the victory Christ has won for you because you are called. You are called. You have a new purpose, and you have a new meaning, and you have an identity in your life. Let's go on to point number two. I'm going to skip some of these here because there's, there are more of them, but I think you got the point. Called to reflect Christ's victory, so be holy. We are called to reflect Christ's victory, so be holy. So I'm going to say, you say I'm, you're talking out two sides of your mouth. No, I'm just trying to be balanced here about this approach. You have to rest and recognize that you're part of just sharing in Christ's inheritance, but you are called at the same time in that reflection of Christ's victory to be holy. And by holiness, I don't mean to be perfect, what I mean is to be set apart, to realize I have a new purpose in life and to live out that purpose. Here's first, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. You know, he says this not just in Ephesians. He says it in Philippians, he says walk worthy. In Colossians, he says walk worthy. In every major book when he's writing to the, a church, he says walk worthy worthy of the calling. So he's, he's saying, you've been called, now recognize the value of this calling. Recognize the value of the fact that you have, you're part of Christ's victory and live in light of it, right? And how do we live in light of it? He says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Oh, sorry. I'm reading something you can't read. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. I'm going to back up here. 
Here's, here's an interesting idea here. So we're supposed to live out this by living set apart, right? He's saying live differently than everyone else because you have received this call. Now, here's an interesting point here. He's saying with all humility and patience, be, be united, be one together. But then he also says bearing with one another in love. Well, if everyone's doing the same thing, I'm not sure why you have to bear with anyone. You get it, right? If everyone's doing the same thing, we don't need to bear with one another, right? Because we're all doing the same thing. The problem is, is that in the body of Christ, in this band of brothers that we are, we don't all do the same thing because ultimately God is our commander. He's calling us to do different things in our holiness, and we have to bear with one another in love, so there's this tension in holiness between, between unity, living together in community, and this idea of God wants me, I'm accountable to God for myself, for what he wants me to do. I've got to live for him. There's this tension. And part of holy living is living in that tension. How do I impact the world and yet just live trusting in Christ's victory on my behalf? That's living in tension. And it, it shouldn't be a tension of, if I don't get this right, God's going to hate me. Okay, that's not the tension I'm talking about here. I'm talking about the tension of God, God wants me to be dependent on him, and I'm living dependent on him, realizing I can't figure it all out for myself all at one time. That's the tension I'm talking about. So you go into your day, and you're like, I want to love my brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to I love my, my wife. And uh, then she does something that I don't particularly appreciate. And I have to bear with her in love. And I have to work through the issue. And I do that, why? Because I've been called to that. I've been called to live together in unity, even as she does some things that are different than me. Because he says here, right, he says it just right after that, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Holiness is not about figuring it all out and knowing exactly, hey, boom, boom, I've got it all done, I've got checked off all my things, I'm, I'm perfect, I'm good. It's about being eager to, to work things out and to be humble when I need to be humble and to be going after something when I need to be going after something. And overall, overarching the whole thing is that eagerness to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Why? Because Christ has won the victory. There is one Lord. There is one faith. There is one baptism. There is one God and Father of all. He is over all and in all and through all. And if he's won the victory, then I'm living for him, dependent on him, walking with him. That's where I have to remain. Well, see, how do you do that? Prayer, right? I mean, just basic bottom line, prayer. You're not going to have all the answers. I can't give you a formula to figure it out. I don't know what you're going to go through tomorrow. <laughs> but I do know where you can go to. 
you can go to his word and you can go to him in prayer and know that he'll answer you and guide you. And that's living holy. That's living holy. So live holy because Christ has won the victory. JFK does the opposite kind of call. He says, conformity is the enemy of freedom and the jail of growth. He's like, hey, it's all about your ability to be free. You know, you're only able to, if you're, that's the only way you're able to grow is if you're free. Now God calls us to live in a freedom that depends on him and walks eager to maintain the unity in the spirit in the bond of peace. Unity is not uniformity. And we need to remember that with one another, even as we seek to live holy lives. So, one last point here about our calling is that we're called to show Christ's love so we need to suffer. We're called to show Christ's love so we need to be not afraid to suffer. Paul puts it this way to Timothy, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which he has now been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He's saying, hey, if you're called to this, you've got to expect to suffer. You've got to expect to suffer. Peter puts it a lot more clearly here. He says, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. He's saying, expect that things won't always go right. Expect that that in, in your life in the body will have hardships. Okay, why? Um, He goes on to say, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. He's saying, make that your purpose. And here's the why. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drunken parties, and lawless idolatry. He's saying, the time before you were saved, before you were called, that suffices enough to live that kind of life. You say, well, I I I was saved at five. I was saved at six. Thank God. Okay, just thank God that you didn't have to go through all of that kind of lifestyle, right? He says, with respect, he says, the time's passed for that kind of living. You have a new kind of life. But when you're living that new kind of life, he says here, with respect to this, they, that is those who continue in that same kind of lifestyle, are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. He's saying people, when, when you live f- because you, you have eternal life, when you live for God, when you live to love others and to love God and to, to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, when you live that way, people look at you and they're like, that's, that's dumb. Why don't you just live for yourself? Why don't you just live for what, what's short-term and what makes you happy right now? You can't express yourself. You can't know yourself if you can't express yourself. So why not just express yourself? Why do you have to live a certain way? He says they malign you. They mock you. They don't like being reminded that there might be life after death. That there might be a judgment that's coming. He goes on to say, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. 
So he's saying here, if you're called, you've, you've got to accept part of this calling means that not everybody will like you. For some of you, that's really hard. For some of us, that's easier. We don't really want people to like us anyway. <laughs> For those of you who it's harder, it's okay. It's okay to struggle. It's okay to, to feel that tension because you're called. You have a new purpose. You have a new identity. Man, I just, I was, I was thinking about this and even just how different cultures have different strengths here. Uh, we're, we're having this conversation just about um, uh, with some of my friends, my Asian friends, about Asian culture. They value health. They value um, community way more then they value the freedom and the risk and the individuality that, that some, sometimes, as an American, I do, right? And, and so those come out in different ways. And frankly, I learned something about the value of community talking to them. And they hopefully learn a little bit of the value of individuality and, and freedom from me. I, I, you know, see? But the goal is not so that, that we could become like each other, the goal is for us to look at Jesus and say, what does Jesus want us to do? How does Jesus want us to live? And so we're not about saying, I just, I'm trying to get rid of suffering in this conversation. As I talk and I'm like, well, how do I get rid of suffering? No, the goal is for me to say, how do I live because Jesus has won the victory? How do I live for that? So what is your purpose in life? What is your purpose in life? When you get up in the morning, when you think about what you want to accomplish, when you think about your legacy and what you're going to pass on, do you remember that you are called? When we say remember the church, we're saying remember you are called. Called to live as if Christ has won the victory over sin and death because he has. Called to live holy lives because we want to reflect that victory. Called to accept hardship and suffering, a little mocking, a little scorn at times because people need to know <laughs> that there is life after death, that there is victory over death, that there is victory over sin, that we can live in joy and peace and love with one another and not hate each other. And that first comes not by doing something, by, but by resting in what Christ has done for you. By stepping back and saying, he won the victory. I'm going to rest in that. How can I show that off? It's not about what I can do, but how can I show off what Christ has done? And it might be getting out there doing something. We're going to talk about that a little bit more next week and over the next couple of weeks. But, but, it, but it starts with resting in what Christ has done for us. So if your purpose in life is trying to accomplish something great, or just trying to get a new job, trying to pass on a legacy, maybe step back and say, how can I make it about the fact that Christ has called me? 
He has called me out of darkness into his marvelous light. And I get to declare that praise with my life. So how can I do that? What's your purpose? Has he called you? If he hasn't, it's very simple. Christ won the victory, so all you have to do, as he said, is believe in him. Believe in his victory. Believe he won it for you. And Romans 6.23 says that he wants to give it to you as a gift. Have you received that gift? Romans 10.13 says, whoever calls will be saved. All you have to do is ask. Have you asked? If you haven't asked, you haven't received it. If you have asked and you have received, then live it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your calling. You knew we were in death and darkness. You knew we were lost. You you knew that we were dissatisfied and broken. And so you called. Jesus came and gives us the hope of victory over sin and death. Gives us the, the promise of eternal life. So I pray that for all of us here that we will have a new purpose because Christ, is, Christ has called and he is calling. He's calling out a people to his name. Help us to be that people, to be the church, to be those who are testimonies and trophies to God's grace. I pray this in your son's name. Amen.